0: Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining this panel. We are looking forward to our panelists and what they are going to share with us this afternoon or this day. I'm going to uh, introduce the moderator, Ms. Bethany Sirota. Bethany Sirota is the Deputy Director of Programs and Operations for the Mayor's Office of Workforce Development for the City of Boston. Mayor Walsh charged Bethany with creating Project Opportunity A program designed to support second chance residents impacted by quarry. In partnership with the Mayor's Office of Public Safety and the Lawyers Clearinghouse, Project Opportunity offers free quarry sealing and expungement clinics, convenes panels on quarry challenges and solutions, and trains frontline workers who support residents impacted by quarry. Prior to this role, Bethany served as the Deputy Director for the Mayor's Office of Fair Housing and Equity for the City of Boston, where she oversaw investigations of allegations of housing discrimination, increased equitable access to affordable housing, and enforced the Fair Housing Act. Bethany received her BA from Temple University and her Juris Doctorate from Suffolk University Law School. As a litigator, Bethany represented clients who could not afford legal counsel as well as refugees and asylum seekers in the Middle East. Bethany serves on the board of directors of both the Massachusetts Black Lawyers Association and the Neighborhood Birthing Center. She also serves on the Boston Committee for the Sarita and Claire Wright Lucas Foundation and is a 2020 fellow graduate of the Partnership Inc. Bethany co-founded and co-directs Girls Rule, an empowerment program for teenage girls in Roxbury. She is also a member of Citizens Housing and Planning Association, the Massachusetts Academy of Trial Attorneys, and the Nine Streets Neighborhood Association in Roxbury. At this time, we welcome Ms. Bethany Sirota.
1: Thank you so much for that warm introduction, Rontier, and for the opportunity to serve as today's moderator. Um, Thank you all for joining us for this very important and wonderful panel conversation. Um, We have a great group of esteemed members of the bar and true public servants um, on our panel today and I'm so excited about the opportunity to discuss with my my sisters and brothers of the bar here why we chose uh, and are still choosing a career in public service in order to uh, really better advocate um, and serve underserved populations um, through our careers in public service. I also wanna take a moment to thank the Boston Bar Association, the BBA president, Marty Murphy, and the Public Service Committee, uh, which is a subcommittee under the Diversity and Inclusion Committee within the BBA uh, for planning today's event. Special shout out to the Public Service Committee co-chairs, Rontier Farmer and Jamil Moore, with many thanks to Carla Reeves, who is one of the co-chairs of the Legal Careers Committee, if I'm correct, um, and Rontier Farmer and Douglas Newton, for your hard work in making today's event possible. So before we jump into the good stuff, I wanna take a moment to allow our exceptional group of panelists today to introduce themselves. Uh, And we can start with Asha White, Danielle Johnson, then Migdalia Nalls, and um, Yvonne Espinoza-Madrigal. Asha? How
2: are you guys doing? My name is Asha White. Uh, I've spent my entire career in public service I'm the deputy chief of the criminal bureau at the attorney general's office, where I'm lucky enough to serve in the same bureau as Rontair Farmer. Uh, that is of course my joy. Um, I started my career in the Suffolk County District Attorney's office as an assistant district attorney. I did that for four years and then uh, worked at the city of Boston law department for one year doing civil litigation uh, for the next uh, nine years, uh, I was in private practice. Uh, although we call it private practice, about 95% of my clients were indigent uh, uh, clients, indigent uh, folks uh, who couldn't afford a legal counsel. Uh, so uh, we were compensated by the state as opposed to directly uh, from, uh, from clients. And that was the majority of my practice, mostly in Roxbury, Chelsea, and then the uh, superior courts uh, across the state. Uh, after leaving uh, private practice of what we call being a bar advocate appointed criminal defense counsel. I became an assistant clerk magistrate uh, in Dorchester court uh, where I had a range of uh, administrative and, and uh, adjudicatory uh, type duties. Uh, and I've been uh, the uh, deputy chief uh, in the uh, criminal bureau at the AG's office uh, for uh, about a year. Uh, I graduated from Northeastern University Law School in 2004 and I uh, graduated from Boston College undergrad in 2001 uh, with MacDahlia Knowles. I know I'm uh, putting her age out there now, so she's probably mad at me because she looks young, Uh, but uh, we were classmates uh, uh, back then. I also serve uh, with Bethany uh, as uh, president-elect of the uh, Mass Black Lawyers Association, and it's a pleasure to be here today on such a great panel.
3: Hello, everyone. Thank you to the BBA for having us today. My name is Danielle Johnson. I am a staff attorney at Greater Boston Legal Services in their housing unit. Uh, I've had a very short career, not nearly as long as as Asha's career, but I've been with GBLS for three years now. I started off in their elder health and disability unit, mostly doing benefit work and housing work, primarily for elders. Uh, And then I made the transition to the housing unit within Greater Boston Legal Services, where I do primarily eviction defense. Uh, As you can imagine, since the moratorium ended in Massachusetts, things have been very busy. Um, So that is what a lot of my time is spent doing now. Uh, I currently am a board member for the Massachusetts Black Women's Attorneys Association, and uh, I serve on the Board for HEARTH, uh, which is an organization that is geared to ending elder homelessness. Happy to be a part of this board. I went to Suffolk Law University, so I share that uh, with Bethany. I went to uh, University of Maryland undergrad, so I'm originally from Maryland. I'm a Boston transplant,
1: uh, but definitely happy to be here and looking forward to the conversation. Thank you.
2: Iris, you're
4: on mute. Thank you. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Medalia Nalls, and I am current. I've also, like Asha just mentioned, um, spent all of my career in public interest. And um, as he mentioned, I graduated from BC undergrad back in 2001, um, then went to BC Law. And from there, I... Became also a prosecutor, assistant district attorney in the Suffolk County DA's office. I was a prosecutor for seven years. And then uh, I was lucky enough to be able to work in Roxbury District Court, which is where I was born and raised in the same jurisdiction. Um, I'm a native of Grove Hall, Dorchester. And uh, so I was able to work with in Roxbury Court for about at least about three and a half years. And then I um, also was fortunate to work in the juvenile unit for almost four years. Um, from the Suffolk DA's perspective. Um, And then from there, I went on to do some family law for legal services um, down in the South Shore, South Coastal Legal Services. Uh, I represented their victims of domestic violence through family law cases. There were a lot of child custody cases as well as divorce cases. And they were also all indigent clients. Uh, And after that position, I took a position here as a trial attorney for the Youth Advocacy Division of the Committee for Public Counsel Services. So I've essentially kind of um, taking a certain um, niche to work with juveniles and and young people. And I feel very fortunate right now to be able to represent uh, a youth population that I believe is a very vulnerable population and trying to kind of gear them on track um, to avoid the adult system. Um, But essentially I enjoy litigating uh, juvenile cases in court.
5: Am I next? Yes. Um, So my name is Ivan Espinosa Madrigal. I'm the Executive Director of Lawyers for Civil Rights. We're an organization that provides free legal support to people of color and immigrants on a wide range of civil rights matters uh, from police accountability and voting rights to um, systemic immigration issues and also uh, transactional uh, pro bono work in support of minority entrepreneurs and low-income entrepreneurs. Um, Our work here in Boston dates back to 1968 when we were founded um, at the request of President Kennedy at the height of the civil rights movement. And we uh, have pro bono relationships with many uh, law firms in Boston. Uh, Professionally, my My experience in law school started with clerking, and uh, after that, going into private practice. I worked for a large firm in New York for two years before going into public interest work. Um, And um, uh, when I went into public interest work, I focused on primarily immigration issues at first uh, at the Mexican American Legal Defense Fund, and then moved into LGBT and HIV um, Uh, rights and equality issues uh, with Lambda Legal before joining uh, Lawyers for Civil Rights here in Boston. And so my work has crisscrossed um, across both the private sector and the public interest uh, field, and then within the public interest field through racial justice, immigration, LGBT equality, among other arenas. And so happy to talk about uh, about some of that um, and the intersection of dose dose areas as well today. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with this distinguished panel.
1: Wonderful, great. Thank you all for the introductions. As you mentioned, Yvonne, we have a great group of distinguished panelists here with us today, all serving in the public sector. Um, sharing why we chose and are still choosing service in order to advocate for underserved populations through a career in public service. Uh, For those of you who are just joining us, welcome. Um, uh, We want this to be as interactive as possible. I already see questions in the Q&A. We will try to get to them. There will also be um, a few minutes or 10 minutes or so toward the end of the program for questions. Um, We do hope you'll engage. Um, I do have a list of questions, but again, if we see something that pops up in the chat, that you guys want to address as you're as panelists as you're um, answering these questions, feel free to do that as well. So I'm going to jump right in, um, and I'll, I'll start with Danielle just because you know we're both Rams <laughs> Suffolk <Okay>. Law <last> School. <laughs> um, so Danielle, and, and and also this question um, goes for all the panelists today. Um, there's several areas of law that one's exposed to. So what drew you specifically to to uh, choose a career in the public sector? Sure. And
3: I, I want to start off by saying that that's the great thing about public services that there are so many areas of law that you can practice in. And even if you're doing, um, you start off doing one type of work in public sector work, you can easily transition to something else. So I started off doing elder work where I was doing social security benefits, making sure that elders were protected in that regard, and then also um, helping elders with their housing issues. Um, and then I really happened to really like the housing aspect. So it became okay, how can I incorporate the housing aspect into something greater? And so that's why I made the transition to the housing unit. And even doing housing work, you find that it's all encompassing. You know, you still get that aspect of, there are benefits at stake here. There are um, children at stake here who may have housing issues that may affect their schooling. So the schooling issue comes into play. So it was more so a, a trial and error type of thing where I started off doing one thing and it turned into something completely different, which I think is a lot of, which is one of the great things about public sector work is that it's so encompassing that you can start off doing one thing and then completely do a 360 or 180, I'm not good with numbers, um, and do something different, but still do that public sector work and still feel like you're helping uh, the community. So um, that's kind of how I got involved in it. I, I knew I wanted to help people and I knew this was something that was very true to me. So it was a matter of, okay, well, how can I tailor it to do something that I actually like, even though, you know, I like this work, but I really like this work. So how can I combine the two? So that's kind of how I got interested in the work.
1: Thank you, Danielle. Um, I would agree that when you choose a career in public service, um, your heart bleeds and you'll do anything to help. And, and I have a very um, diverse career path, as Rontier highlighted, um, all in the public sector. Um, and I appreciate you know, all of those experiences. Um, Asha, do you want to talk about your very diverse career path in the public sector?
2: Sure. Um... I think like Danielle said, uh, the most important thing to keep in mind is that uh, when you say public sector or the public service, you're talking about really an an umbrella term for lots of different uh, areas of law and lots of different kinds of public service uh, that you can do. My initial interest was in criminal law um, and that's what I've spent the bulk of my uh, career doing. But I think that there's a misconception that public service must always come in the criminal law context and nothing uh, could be further from the truth. And when I went further along in my career, especially when I spent time as uh, as an assistant clerk magistrate, I spent most of my time in in the civil session where I was uh, presiding over really what you can call indigent civil matters Um, and I didn't quite understand the breadth of it uh until I was uh, you know in, in court handling uh, uh, those sort of cases. Uh so I think for people that are interested in public service, I would always encourage everyone uh to consider getting involved in, in criminal law although I don't think we need to broadcast that. I think that's actually actually a, a, a pretty popular thing for people to consider. Uh so I uh, you know I, I I want more and more for young lawyers to consider uh, civil, what we would generally call civil legal aid, right? Um, um, across the different states. Uh, to give that some consideration, the criminal justice system is always a, a big issue. It's been the big issue this year. That's not uh, gonna be going uh, anywhere anytime soon uh, for better or for worse, um, uh, th- th- that's gonna be an issue. But uh, right now we also have um, serious issues of uh, uh, eviction, housing, uh, uh, different things that, uh, that you can get involved in. Uh, so my path initially, uh, was, uh, uh, stepping in, in into criminal prosecution, which I had to be in a sense, talked into, cause that's not what I considered when I went, uh, into law school. Um, and I met people and, and they talked to me about, uh, uh, some of the good that could be done, uh, in, uh, in that particular world. Uh, and they ended up being, uh, correct. Uh, so that. It, it was partially a desire to do something that was meaningful. It was also, I also had an interest in just getting on my feet. There's always gonna be a trade-off. And if you go to a big firm, certainly financially, you're gonna be compensated a lot better. The trade-off is you might not be able to have your own caseload and, and, and get up and work on your own cases. Uh, whereas if you come in uh, to public service the minute you walk in they're handing you about 12 files and 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 you know it, 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 it's off you go uh, that's what i was looking for uh coming out i i wanted uh to get experience i want to get repetition uh and you know from there uh your career can lead you uh, uh directions that you never uh, necessarily uh, necessarily expected uh, uh medallion i also started together in the Suffolk County DA's office so she can uh, uh, you know, expand on what I'm saying that led me into a lot of different directions. That I never uh, um, uh, expected to go in.
1: Thank you, Asha. And I agree. I think we need public interest attorneys now more than ever in housing and eviction spaces as well as criminal. Um, Magdalia, do you
4: want to jump in? Yeah, I I think to piggyback off of um, what Asha was saying, uh, for one, I I do have a a personal bias (laughs) towards criminal law. And I I think it's, you know, and and this year probably spoke volumes to why, right? For me, it was a personal um, in terms of, you know, growing up in an area with high crime when and looking around my neighborhood and the environment and seeing and feeling injustices right experiencing some of those myself um, in different ways. Um, And so and and seeing close loved ones experience it so for me, I think growing up, it was personal and I never knew like where my career would lead me. I'm thankful that I, I made it through Boston Public School Systems. Um, and once I did get that shot to to know that, wow, I can go to college, I can go to law school. It's like, what do you wanna do with it then, you know? And I think that um, for me, because I was also raised on public assistance and, and already in a low income um, environment, um, that the the, Financial stability wasn't really on my radar, <laughs> um, even though, you know, so I always say, like, follow what you really want to do uh, for for one um, in terms of your passion. And so for me in law school, one of the things that was very settling for me is that I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to get into public interest in some fashion. I, I really I didn't know if it was only going to be criminal law, it, you know, even though I, I had that passion for that. Um, But like Asha said, there's the eviction, there's a lot of people going through really tough divorce, Uh, you know, um, other family law, child custody battles are huge. Um, And I learned that only by stepping away from criminal law for a bit, where I could see, you know, children having to fight between mom and dad or the department, the state, uh, DCF taking them. And it's, that was eye-opening. So there's so many different ways to be impactful to individual lives. And um, I'm thankful that I didn't only let, I I had no idea it would be (laughs) that I would be, it would be such a financial sacrifice anyway. That's how blind I was, blinded Mm -hmm. I was by the passion to do the work. But I will say everything falls into place. You know, um, I think that when you do something you love, like all of that other stuff, like, you know, your house and car, like things, financial stability all comes in, you know, kind of falls into place. So I'm thankful I didn't let that guide me. Um, And so, You know, coming out of law school, it was, I had a similar experience to Asha, where I had no idea I would be a prosecutor. I really thought I would go into defense first. Um, However, I did an internship in the office. It really taught me a lot. I met some some good mentors there who who basically were able to show me how your voice could be powerful here and how you could, you know, it's yes on a case by case individual basis, but there is discretion that you have in each position that you take, each role. And when you evaluate cases you're assigned to there is an impact that you can make on an individual basis on again on a case-by-case basis and i think at the moment that you feel like you're going to be a robot for a system that's when you need to evaluate your position and potentially consider um you know opening up for different um options with regard to your position and role I, i was thankful to have worked in the juvenile unit that's where i found I really enjoyed working with with youth and teenagers and seeing kind of the issues that they're facing day to day um, in their positions and and I feel like they don't have certain supports that they need to thrive uh, and they're expected to so we can get into that further later, but you know that's it's kind of a personal commitment that that I've made um, that has helped me enjoy working in the public sector.
1: Thank you, Magdalia, I I can very much relate. Um, I knew uh, while I was in law school or when I went to law school that I wanted to get into public sector or public interest law, especially as it pertained to children and families um, and people impacted by the criminal justice system. But I remember my 2L year, Sort of being on the fence because i learned of the financial sacrifice that i was going to have to make and what did that mean for my future and posterity and um you know there were other options where i could go into transactional law and be safe but i remember going to an event where charles ogletree was speaking um to rising attorneys and he said he, he, he referred to a quote by charles hamilton houston who believed that a lawyer was an agent for social change and he quoted and i'm paraphrasing that as a rising lawyer, you can either be an engineer for justice, a social engineer for justice, or a parasite on society. And I felt so convicted, and I, I went forward with my two L um, summer associateship in a transactional space, and thereafter I was like, that's it. I'm just you know completing this year, and I'm going right back to the public sector. And I I'm, I don't regret it for an and in, in, you know in any moment. Um, and I've been able to sustain somehow financially, so <laughs> um, I can relate. Um,
5: Ivan, do you want to share? Uh, thank you, Bethany. It's great to hear these experiences, uh, which have overlap. I would not call private attorneys parasites, <laughs> but um, but I appreciate what uh, the very wise Professor Ogletree always has to say. Um, you know, I was in the private sector for two years, and I think it was really great. Uh, for allowing me to see how big law works and how, for example, pro bono work gets done within a law firm. What are the levers that have to be pulled to get a law firm engaged in pro bono work? Which frankly, I don't think I would be successful in my job right now at Lawyers for Civil Rights if I hadn't had that experience in big law to to just understand what the culture and dynamics are. Um, and, I, and I think also that we need to get into a habit of, of creating more opportunities for attorneys from the public sector to go into the private sector and for attorneys from the private sector to come into the public sector and to do it actively uh, as a two-way street. And so um, I, I, you know, I, I resist the tendency to, to really see our work in public interest as, as polar opposites of what the private sector does. Um, but I think there are definitely, you know, for me personally, the work that I've done, um, in public interest has been incredibly personally and professionally fulfilling, you know, and, um, and of course, at the beginning, you're doing it, you know, with, um, church mouse wages, but, um, but somehow we all do survive and, uh, uh, and, and thrive even. And so I do stress to folks, um, you know, not to let the pay be the be the barrier for public interest work, especially if that's where their heart lies, um, and to really think about. Um, I love the way Magdalena was talking about. You know how passionate she has been about criminal justice issues and youth issues and the intersections there. Um, for me, even though I've been incredibly passionate about immigration issues, for example which is probably the thing I I know the most if I had to talk about a particular expertise, the constitutional rights of immigrants. But at the same time, my work has spanned across so many different arenas in voting rights and police accountability and LGBT issues, issues related to HIV, which I found fascinating. And if you would have asked me when I was in law school, oh, you're going to work in LGBT and HIV issues, I would have been like, no, like that's not, it's not what I wanna do. That's not what I see myself doing. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And yet those experiences were incredibly rewarding and, and really allowed me to grow professionally in ways that I wouldn't have uh, had I stuck to, um, to the same thing over time. And so I do encourage people to not just think about the intersections that we have with private practice, but also to think about um, uh, getting outside of the box and doing things that are outside of your comfort zone in, in areas for growth professionally that you might not have ordinarily thought about. And so I just encourage folks not to... Uh, when, when we have someone like Mentalia who knows what they want, that's fabulous. But there are so many other students or recent professionals who are still trying to explore things and there's nothing wrong with that. And so I I just want to normalize the fact that that there are many different paths and you should be okay with exploring them um, before you settle on one particular thing, unless you really know what you want to do and then stick with that, obviously. Um, but but I want to open up some of those uh, themes because I think based on my experience, following opportunity has been has been a path forward. Um, uh, when I when I've gone from let's say working at the Mexican American Legal Defense Fund to working at Lambda Legal or working on um, LGBT and HIV issues to coming back into more of a racial justice and uh, immigration space. And so don't be afraid of of opening new doors and and going after an opportunity that looks interesting and and that represents some growth.
1: Thank you, Yvonne. And, and you actually made a really great point. And I want to acknowledge all of the private sector attorneys um, doing great pro bono work um, and serving on you know, the panels as, and as bar advocates to represent um, indiv- indigent litigants. So um, thank you for pointing that out. You don't always have to go public sector. You can be private and still um, serve to advocate for underserved populations. Um, Asha, do you want to add something?
4: Oh.
2: Um. So uh, just one thing I wanted to add quickly was, um, you know, a lot of people when you're in law school or in in college, uh, you know, you might be people who are social justice inclined, right? What, you know, uh, like a lot of us were in college and and all throughout law school. So that's gonna involve a lot of study, a lot of reading, a lot of conversations about policy and things like that. Part of my goal and I I would hope part of some of your goals, uh, if you're listening, is that you wanna step out of the intellectual theoretical study and actually go do something, right? And uh, to the point that both Medaya and Yvonne were raising is that you know social justice people tend to want institutional change. And that is what we're all seeking. Before you can do that, you actually have to get on the ground and work cases. Right. You're not going to be able to really contribute to that conversation until you really understand what takes place. And actually, no matter what we change uh, about the system, at some point, someone is have, is going to have to go in and work a case. And that is the way that, that that you start to build your career and start to help people case by case, case after case, over and over again. So it's one thing to study You know domestic violence policy it's another thing to be a domestic violence prosecutor and like one of my first trials to have a woman come in and say you know my boyfriend slashed my arms up with a knife um and it's another thing to talk about prison policy or um the incarceration rates and it's another thing to then go sit with someone who just got sentenced to five years in state prison or is facing that, uh, that amount of time and he might be 15 16 years old And that, that's the sort of work that we all have to be willing uh, uh, to do day to day uh, uh, if we're going to help change things. So yes, from a big picture policy perspective, but that work on the ground, uh, you know, matters equally as much.
1: Thank you
4: so much, Asha.
2: I think Um, Magdalia wanted to say something.
4: Please do Magdalia, feel free. Oh, no, I just, I thank you, Asha, for saying that, um, and I just wanted to comment quickly on also something that Yvonne said, just, I just want to make sure it was clear, even for my own career when, and then, and thank you, Yvonne, for saying it, but when you mentioned like, oh, you know, it's great to have someone who knows what they're doing, I just, I didn't wanna mislead and make it seem like I knew from, I think I knew my commitment in terms of wanting to do something criminal law. But in terms of my niche in in juvenile justice and, th- your passion will unfold with your experiences. So again, like I did not know I would be a prosecutor. I had to do an internship and like what Asha was saying, basically like get on the ground and do the work and meet people there and to see what is that position about. Like, you know, people can tell you what it's about, but unless you're in there doing that, that Um, live internship meeting real people and actually doing some assignments where you can see what it's about then you really won't know and so that's how my career has unfolded it has been and has been somewhat unpredictable i did not know then i would go do some family law where i learned a whole different area of law in family and probate court it was a whole different experience in criminal court and that's where i agree with yvonne like take chances to learn something new um and i think that if that Chances in the private sector—that's you know—that's great too. I I think that where we're here, like valuing public interest work, this is what I'm gonna you know basically push for all of you who obviously have some kind of interest in this work, whether you're in the private sector and you love doing it through pro bono, or if you're just thinking about your career moving forward. But the other quick thing is, yes, as Asha mentioned, like there's so much experience you do get doing the groundwork on the day-to-day grind basically in trial court um, and when you're advocating on behalf of your clients and there's other avenues by sitting on boards as Danielle mentioned earlier, you know she's on a few boards we're all on several boards. And that is how, another way where your voice can be very powerful and even if you are regardless what sector what sector you're in as an attorney those are opportunities that I think you should definitely be looking to. Um, to achieve as well, like get on the Boston Bar Association, the Mass Bar Association, get involved. I was president of MAHA, which is the Hispanic Bar Association here in Massachusetts. Like those were ways where you can only do some certain amount of impact in your ground work day to day, but there's also ways to advocate um, for legislative change through being on boards and, and having your voice be heard in different ways. And so I also want to advocate and let people know, no matter what you choose for your day-to-day, always look for those opportunities, how you can be a voice um, on boards and just like advocating for whatever you know positions you want to advocate for in the fields that interest you.
1: Thank you, Magdalia. Uh, so I think I'm going to try to join two questions together, if possible. Uh, because I think they're great questions. Um, so A, is, is there a specific population and you guys have touched on this uh, a bit, but is there a specific population that you're particularly passionate about? You may not be currently serving them. I love juvenile justice, but I'm serving residents impacted by Corey. Love both populations. Um, but is there a, a population that you're particularly passionate about and why? And um, in pursuing, this career and serving the population that you're most passionate about, um, what are some of the obstacles that you experience and and how do you overcome them? Um, so I, we can start with Danielle, then we can go to Yvonne, Asha, Magdalia, if you guys want a popcorn, um, feel free.
3: Sure. Um, I mean, when I, prior to working at GBLS, I worked for a private attorney that did um, appellate work for first degree, um, murderers, basically. So that was the type of work that I was doing. And it was very interesting. But, you know, it wasn't as um, interesting as I would have hoped because there was sort of a disconnect, you know, your clients are in prison for one, and they're also facing life. So there's no really um, sure outcome of what their case will be. So I wanted to pursue something that was more fast paced that I could see the results actually happening, which is why I got into disability work and that kind of um, started at another firm and then I eventually ended up at, at GBLS and the elder work was, was great. The benefits work was great, but I started doing the housing work and that was, you know, this is really interesting. And um, I was very interested and I wanted to see exactly, okay, well, this is just for elders, but what is the other population like for, for non-elders or people that are not elders but are disabled or people that um, have Section 8, that sort of thing. So that kind of delved into you know, my interest into the housing work. Um, and even with doing the housing work, there are other issues that have presented itself, such as family law issues, such as criminal issues, such as you know someone has a Section 8 voucher and there is an issue related to someone in the household. Um, and with that work, you start to see that there is just more than the case. There's other effects to the case. There are other surrounding influences such as cultural differences. You know, why is it that this family is set up the way that it is? Or why is it that this person can't pay their rent when you know, there's all these people that live in the house? Or why is it that this person doesn't have access to their money? Um, and only this person is controlling it, and that goes to there are cultural differences. There, there's a reason that this family is set up this way, and so in doing that, that's kind of piqued my interest more as to how can I look at my housing cases, how how can I look at these situations and kind of take them um, from this perspective of you know it's either non-payment fault, no fault. And turn it into okay it's non-payment but what is what are the reasons behind that what is the policy change that we can institute here as to why it is that this person isn't paying rent so that's something that and again that's the great thing about working in legal aid and in the public sector is that you start off with something that seems very simple and it can blossom into something that is much more to the point where you're thinking okay well this seems to be a an issue that. Isn't just happening once; it's happening all over the place. So that must mean that something within the system needs to change. So how how can I fix that? And that's kind of where the policy work comes into where the um, you know communicating with your city councilors, working with other outside organizations such as lawyers for, lawyers for civil rights, and figuring out okay how can we collaborate to fix this issue where you have uh, you know. An institution that is heavily policed and we want to know why. Um, So those are things that I think has um, kind of piqued my interest and is something that I'm slowly starting to get into based off of the work that I've been doing. So it started off as you know just doing one thing which was just elder work and transitioning into something that is race related, that's family related, that's criminal related. So um, that's you know, another plus to um, public sector work. So hopefully that sort of answers
1: your question. Thanks, Danielle. Yvonne, would you like to go next?
5: Sure, um, you know, for me, one of the most fascinating populations or, or, um, or ways of thinking about, about people we serve is through an intersectional lens, instead of thinking about, one particular axis of identity to think about how, um, uh, how layered identities are um, more subjected sometimes to, um, to more discrimination. And here, right, instead of just focusing, for example, on Black people to focus on the experience of Black women or to focus on the experience of Black queer women uh, or Black women with disabilities, right? So uh, by way of example, uh, the way that discrimination gets compounded when we talk about um, about uh, these issues of identity, and so for me, um, the intersection of identities has always been quite fascinating. And uh, and I think uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because many of us identify across different um, uh, across different lines. That's just a reality of the human experience. Um, and secondly, because the law has done a particularly poor job at acknowledging those intersections, the law still tends to think of people as black or white um, to put it in in, in quite a, an abrupt binary um, and fails to take under consideration. Um, and here, of course, I'm, I'm generalizing, but, but you get the idea, fails to take into account the way that um, uh, that people at the intersection of various identities experience discrimination. Um, we've seen this, for example, in the work we've done with um, uh, black women and instances where uh, schools or other institutions are policing their hairstyles, which are issues not necessarily unique to black women, but that affect the black women uh, with alarming frequency in ways that other populations are not. And so, uh, you know, by way of example, I'm, I'm offering that because I think that it is quite um, uh, quite interesting that the law has not caught up to the re- to the lived experience of most people at the intersection of various identities. Um, I'm a big fan of um, Kimberly Crenshaw's um, work um, and literature around uh, issues of intersectionality. And and I think we need to get the law to acknowledge those intersections um, and to provide remedies that actually deal with the uh, the urgency of the issue um, at the intersection of identity. And so for me, it's not about one particular population, but rather about how we look at our client populations and trying to come with a lens of intersectionality in making sure that no one is falling through the cracks and that we're actually doing work that resonates deep on the ground um, with the way uh, people's lived experiences manifest, and trying to come up with ways that jurisprudence reflects those lived experiences in much more concrete ways. Um, so, uh, so uh, long answer to your question, but but those are some of the issues that 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 are pertinent, I think, in the way that that um, that I do my work and that I try to look at the world. Um, Uh, when I think about uh, affected communities or populations that we're serving.
1: Thank you, uh, Yvonne. Great insight uh, and points made there. Uh, Magdalia, Asha, do you guys wanna jump in?
4: I think your question was about our passions and obstacles, correct? Um, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um,
1: demographics that so, you're p-
4: passionate about and any
1: obstacles. Yeah. So say. I
4: think I focused a bit on, you know, I kind of fell into, you know, again, my passion with working with um, juveniles. And, and some of that happened while I was grateful to have had the opportunity to work with adults first. And I could see some of, again, the sentencing uh, disparities I felt when I did go work in the juvenile unit, how um, for children, um, I feel like in so many ways, um, when a when a child is charged with a crime, first of all, when I started working with juveniles, it wasn't only it was only two and a half, almost three years ago now that um, the age jurisdiction changed in Massachusetts. They used to be from seven years old, um, first to 17, and then that was raised to 18. But up until a few years ago. You know, kids under 12 were able to be prosecuted. So even in my current role as a public defender, you know, my one of my first clients was nine years old, like we had children that were young and legally the state of Massachusetts allows children to be, you know, handcuffed by police and brought into court and um, And shackled in, you know, when they're in the booking areas and lockup and and There's a lot of advocacy that has gone into trying to change some of this system and how it's designed to nurture children and with a more youth uh, positive youth development lens. Um, However, it's it's slow moving and slow growing so for me when i saw how children were being treated and and one simple example is like for shoplifting when i was a prosecutor for shoplifting adults would get you know um a fifty dollar fine like sometimes if they spent a night if you got arrested on a sunday night for shoplifting and then the next morning you were in court and you spent the night in in jail it's like well you know what dismiss it on you know sometimes very low court cards so just dismiss it on the fact that that person I had already spent uh, a night in jail, where the the uh, the penalty was only a fine for children. It's it's different. Like a shoplifting charge can stay open for some time, and there's so many collateral things going in their life um, at the same time, where um where you know and a shoplifting could potentially at the end of the day, if that person is in an unstable situation, they can end up getting more conditions, a certain curfew. They can legally for shoplifting, for any charge in juvenile court, legally, they can be sentenced to DYS to 18. And even though it doesn't happen that often, there's so many ways of, again, conditions being um, violated at home um, even before conviction. So to me, that was fascinating that's kind of how I I built, again, just had this and a passion for that. In terms of obstacles um, in my, I'm trying to think if it's personal in my career or um, in in terms of obstacles, I know for me, I would say my personal obstacles is just at the very beginning, I think for all of you who are in law school right now, just that initial um, stage of just trying to find where you wanna be and then all of the challenges of even taking the bar exam to me was very challenging. So I found that to be an obstacle more so from, you know again, trying to play catch up with public school um, education. Um, So I would say for, again, for all the law students out there that, again, where there's a will, there's a way to get through some of those um, at the very beginning Um, and that it's okay if you don't have your specific passion right away. I think that it will unfold throughout your career.
2: Um, I I think it's I think it's hard to say you know if I if I was focused on a specific uh, demographic I think that my interest uh, was to help you know um, indigent populations uh, uh, you know uh, poorer people in some way shape or form Uh, uh, that's that's probably where where my mind was in law school I knew that's where I would end up I wasn't sure demographically what that meant I, I, I probably had a particular interest uh, in 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 people of color, but um, it, it was it, it was you know an interest in helping uh, you know in trying to remedy some of the different kinds of inequality uh, that we see um, uh, more so based on uh, uh, you know race and social class. Um, in terms of obstacles, uh, I, I think Medallia, you know. Uh, raise the same issue I was going to raise I think there's there's a in terms of obstacles there are personal obstacles and then there are like institutional obstacles that you'll that you'll face personal obstacles you know we can have a longer conversation about that I think personal obstacles can often depend on you know who you are coming out of law school and that will dictate what some of your obstacles are because there are immutable characteristics about you that people will have reactions to uh, and and that will create uh, uh, some different obstacles. So uh, certainly, when I was coming out of law school, uh, I was uh, you know I was a young uh, African American lawyer that brought its own uh, uh, obstacles going into the public sector. Uh, in terms of just generally what the obstacles are, institutions are very resistant uh, to change. Um, and I'm you know I'm, that's an understatement of this panel. I mean, they, but they are very very resistant to big, important change. It doesn't uh, come very easily. Uh, there are set ways of doing things and you are forced to come in and learn those set ways or everyone will disregard you. So you can't just come in saying, we're gonna change this. That's just not really gonna happen, just walking in. Uh, so it's it's learning uh, that culture and understanding where sometimes you have to follow it even if you don't love it. And then finding when you have the leverage to try and 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 make those changes and how, um, and I think that in the public sector sector, we also mentioned you know uh, uh, you know money uh, for people coming in. I I was I was young, so even if they paid me hundred dollars a year, that was hundred dollars more than I ever made in my life, so I didn't I didn't care as much. Uh, but for a lot of other people, you know that, that's a real issue. You know, our, our finances are an issue, and, and we want to have families and be able to live in a very expensive city, uh, so that uh, that can be a challenge. I would say lastly, that even though you get experience, a lot of these jobs can overwhelm you very, very quickly with a, a, a big caseload, a very demanding culture. Uh, so it, it's very easy for a young lawyer uh, to get a, a little bit, to feel like they're drowning uh, uh, when they come in, especially those first six months to a year. And sometimes the support and the teaching is not where it should be. Uh, when you're working uh, in different uh, public service agencies. That's not every agency. It, it, it varies greatly be, uh, agency to agency, but I think it's a, it's a fair statement to say that sometimes the supervision and the teaching is not always where it should be. Um, and there are times when the level of professionalism uh, um, is not always where it should be. Uh, and I think there's an unfortunate belief that when you're serving poor people, that you don't have to behave yourself uh, uh, like a like a full fledged professional, like in the in the private sector where you might not have as big of a poor clientele. Everyone expects an uber professionalism. Uh, um, my hope is that one day we get there when we're serving uh, poorer populations as well. You don't you don't always get that uh, when you're serving in public service, and it, it's it's a challenge for a younger lawyer or a newer lawyer of any age to maintain their professionalism while watching. Other people around them not always uh, uh, maintain that level, so uh, I think those are, are are the institutional obstacles that that you know that we'll all see.
1: Thank you so much, Asha. It's always um, so hard to have these conversations in an hour because there's so much that we want to cover, especially on this very important topic. Um, but we are coming up on time. I think there might be just one sort of last looming question um, that you guys want to close out with, um, and then if you don't mind. Um, you guys, just looking into the Q and A, and if there are any questions that you can answer, um, and answer, and type the answer, and then we can make sure that they're live for the panelists. Also, if you want to include your information or contact information in the chat, that would be great. Um, but just in closing, is there anything that you would um, you would you you'd share with those who are looking to enter or grow into in, in the public sector? Um, but also, I think Gavin also posts. A really great question around how do you handle the emotional drain that public interest work can take on you, um, especially since it, it touches so closely with our values or experiences. Um, and and April English also adds, you know, how how are you guys affording this? Is for someone who's coming out of law school and they're wondering how they can, you know, straddle these loans with the loan forgiveness program, et cetera, um, and they're interested in a career in public ser- service how can they meaningfully do this work and grow and sustain um, both in terms of financial self-care and um, general self, self-care and being? I know that's a lot for five minutes, but just briefly, um, if you guys wanna jump in um, and then I think we said we'll go to 12.05 potentially, but not over, is that right, Frontier? Okay, so if people have to jump, we understand. Um, but if you wanna to just touch on those questions, guys, it'd be great.
3: Sure, and I think I'm probably one of the newer attorneys of the panel, so I can definitely relate to the younger uh, or the newer attorneys who worry that public sec- sector work, you can't survive, trust me, you can. <laughs> I, I don't live in a house, but I live in an apartment and I'm, I'm doing fine, so you too will be fine. Um, And I think, you know, with the loan forgiveness program, which is great, you do 10 years if you are, you know, come out of law school and you're 27, you only have to work in public sector until you're 37 and all your law school loans are paid off. So that is a plus to the type of work uh, that you do. Obviously, that shouldn't be the reason why you do the work, but that is an added bonus to doing the work. Um, And I think, you know, and I believe I think everyone touched on this in the panel is, you know, in law school you have this idea of what it is to be a lawyer, and you get these conceptions from different television shows. But at the end of the day, you have to look at what it is that you want to feel good about at the end of the day, and that's the great thing about public interest work. Is I I feel really good about the end at the end of the day about the work that I did. Um, so it's it's really rewarding in that regard. And I think it's also important to note that. You can get so much experience doing this work, you know, you start off doing one thing and then you go off and do something else. Uh, It opens a lot of doors for you, which is even better, you know, a lot of uh, you work for um, the government you work for GBLS you work for LCR people know those names and that's what makes you know you sort of reputable and it's always great to have, you know, Oh, you work at greater Boston legal services I know that place well we've collaborated with them, or um, That sort of thing. So I think that's important to make note of as well when you're doing this work because it's um, All the other stuff is kind of fluff and you kind of get lost in the weeds about it, but you want to feel good about the work that you're doing. And I think that this type of work will allow you to do that. And then lastly, I just, I just want to note that um, The and Asha kind of brought this up is you work with a lot of different people who have different personalities, and I know for you know from personal experience at Greater Boston Legal Services, there are people that have been practicing for as long as I am old. So it's very intimidating, but I promise you that it's a it's a community group. I mean, I can go to LCR if I don't have a, if I don't know the answer, someone will know the answer. So it's always good to have that um, collegiality not only within your organization but amongst
5: other
1: organizations. Thanks, Danielle Ivan.
5: Thank you, uh, Bethany, for moderating us today. It's been wonderful to be here with such a distinguished panel. And I am one of the folks that will have to jump off uh, at one. Um, uh, you know, litigation calls. So, um, but I wanted to wrap up by underscoring what Danielle so articulately just put about, um, about building relationships and about um, uh, about the importance of, Um, of developing um, yourself professionally and the opportunities that that are in the public interest world. Um, And I wanted to expand on one particular thing, which is, you know, in the public interest world, people value entrepreneurship, Um, you know, being creative in um, what you're proposing. Oftentimes there are fellowships that allow um, recent uh, law graduates to propose Uh, projects that they could launch and bring to an organization like Greater Boston Legal Services or to lawyers for civil rights. And so I encourage people to law students to think about that. What is the project that you want to see off the ground? What what is happening out there in the world that you think could be done better and that you want to be leading? And, And so put yourself out there in proposing those projects. And even if you've been several years out of law school and no longer qualify for those fellowships, you know, talk to GBLS about what you're thinking about, you know, there could be opportunities for launching a new initiative, you never know. And so be entrepreneurial about your own professional development. And for folks in law firms who are thinking about joining the public interest world, you know, you have to dig your well before you're thirsty. If you're thinking that you wanna be a GBLS or LCR or the ACLU in five years, what are you doing right now to make those connections? Are you doing pro bono work in the way that Bethany described before? Are you doing an amicus brief? Are you volunteering to co-counsel a case through your pro bono hours at the firm? What are you doing to connect yourself to the social justice movement that you wanna be a part of so that you're not just knocking on the door saying, hey, I'm here, let me tell you how great I am. Well, you know, have you done any work with them lately? You know, if you're thinking about transitioning into public interest work, you need to be thinking about what does that look like for you? How do you tee yourself up for success? And so i want to leave folks with both of those ideas to be entrepreneurial and to be actively engaged in developing your network so that you can, explore more opportunities in the public interest world. And with that, I wanna pay my respects to all of the panelists and and, and thank you for inviting me today. And I'm easy to find and my contact information is in the chat.
1: Thank you so much, Yvonne. Um, Unless anyone has any burning desire to share, I will pass the mic to Rontier for closing remarks.
0: Okay. Well, on behalf of the Boston Bar Association, the Diversity and Inclusion Committee, the Public Service and Legal Career Subcommittee, thank you. Without your presence, this panel would not have been successful. Thank you for taking the time to choose to be here today. I want to thank our amazing speakers, Asha, Danielle, Magdalia, and Yvonne, who took the time out of their day to share their experiences and their passion for public service especially our moderator, Bethany, who managed to both moderate and share her experiences. And a special thank you to Doug Newton, Carla Reeves and Jamil Moore, who also helped make sure that this panel happened without any issues. So thank you all. Thank you to the speakers, the attendees. We really and truly appreciate you guys being here with us today. Thank you.